No country has ever prospered that failed to put its own interests first. We will no longer surrender this country or its people to the false song of globalism. New Right Network presents Right Now, the featured podcast of New Right Network. Mobilizing, countering the left, energizing the right. New Right Network, home of the New Right Movement. Hi, everyone. I'm Steph Dillon, and joining me today on the New Right Network's Right Now podcast is editor of Reason Magazine and author of the new book, Panic Attack, Young Radicals in the Age of Trump. Welcome, Robbie Suave. Awesome name, by the way. That's the best name ever. Thank you Um, so much. (laughs) So um, you've been front and center on some issues over the past several years. Um, It seems stemming from your journalism and your debunking of some media hoaxes that are pretty damaging. And um, the one that you won a a journalism award for was the Rolling Stone rape hoax. Can you tell us about that and how you got involved in that? Sure. We're coming up on uh, actually five years, uh, I think, since that story uh, first came out. So this was a report in Rolling Stone about a horrible gang sexual assault, gang rape at the University of Virginia. And the article had interviewed the survivor of that attack, Jackie, was just using her first name, who had claimed that she was she was on a date with someone, uh, a young man whom she'd met. They were students at the University of Virginia and at a fraternity party she was lured by him to an upstairs bedroom and then she was viciously horrifically raped um, by a dozen different people friends of the young man Um, and then the the story went on to suggest that the university didn't really do anything about it or take her claim seriously and this was an indictment of how universities mishandle sexual misconduct etc etc i was uh, among the first journalists to express skepticism of this story uh, it seemed too salacious. Um, there were details of it that seemed fishy to me. For one thing, Jackie claimed she had not been drinking, and I had never read a gang sexual assault story taking place on a campus where the, the victim was not incapacitated through alcohol right. or drugs or something like that. Because right. how would you, she would just go to the police. How would you expect to get away with it? Especially a yeah. premeditated, because she was supposedly lured up there. So that, that, that seemed like something out of like Law and Order or SVU, not like a real <laughs> story. <laughs> and it was a big story. It was everywhere all the time. It was an indictment on, you know, on, on the university culture, the culture as a whole, privileged white men, you know, all, it was an indictment on everybody for a long time. I mean, right, right. right. And, you know, I got, I got, uh, I got quickly attacked when I suggested that there were problems with this story. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But then, but luckily for me, I mean, within a couple days, the story completely fell apart. It turned out that the author and the editors who had fact-checked the piece or edited the piece, they had, they had not pressed Jackie to reveal to them the name of the man who did this because she was on a date with him. So she knew who it was, Um, but she had not. And it would be one thing not to print his name or to redact his name, but they had not even verified that he existed and he did not exist. (laughs) There was no person by this name who had ever attended the university. Oh my God. I didn't know that. (laughs) Yes. And it gets better. Text messages allegedly sent from him to friends of Jackie they were sent by Jackie. So she had created a false alternate persona. So she went to quite elaborate, this is more akin to catfishing, when you, you create a, yeah. a fake persona to trick people online, um, yeah. which is what she did to her friends. And if they had interviewed any of her friends about this, her friends would have said, we're not friends with Jackie anymore because she's a liar who made this whole person up. But they naively, they just, they trusted Jackie implicitly. They didn't do any steps to verify what she said. And it, it blew up in their faces. And that's why they were successfully sued for, for libel, because this went, it wasn't just that they got it wrong, but even a cursory, the most basic thing you could have done to verify this story would have right. shown that it was not true. Wow. Now, you say within a couple of days. Do you mean within a couple of days of your 
expressing skepticism or within a couple yes. of days of the yes. story? Okay, because yeah, I remember that going on for a long time, you know, news panels and talking, you know, talking about the culture of the, it's just, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, you know, and that's a, that's a, that's a big thing. I mean, why, why did Rolling Stone go with this? Were they so invested in a story that, um, that had a narrative that they believed, or did they really think that this was real? I think it went to uh, when a story confirms your own biases, that's when you have to be extra skeptical of it to make sure you're not just getting taken in by something you want to hear. Um, you know, I mean, this is this is something all journalists deal with. You know, I write a lot about campus culture, free speech threats on college campuses. So sometimes I'll get a tip that said, you know, this person has been silenced or censored and, you know, the intolerant right. left is coming for them. And oftentimes that is true. But I got to be really careful just because, you know, I'm, I, I have a I have a pre-existing you bias for yeah. to believe those things are going on. So I got to really make sure that happened. That's just they just didn't do that this time. And they were shopping for a story like this as well. So the author of that story, Sabrina Rubin Erdley, uh, she wanted to tell a story about sexual assault at a university. And of course there's plenty of actual sexual misconduct on universities. It's not, it, it's not that it doesn't exist at all. It's that the way we've contextualized the problem, uh, we, we've made it sound like it's a bigger problem, I think, than it is. And have ignored some of these messier encounters, hookups that are, that are very difficult to adjudicate and there's some blame on both sides. Uh, not regret. Right. Yeah, regret. Exactly. Drugs, alcohol. But yeah. she, you know, she talked to a couple activists on sexual misconduct issues, Title IX activists, and she found one who said, uh, and this activist's name is Emily Renda. She was advising the Obama administration, the White House on campus sexual misconduct issues. And Emily Renda told the author, Sabrina, I have a story for you. It's the most horrible story I've ever heard. And she put her in touch with Jackie. Uh, and that's, I mean, that's how it happened. And, so, and one other note on this, Sabrina, the author, uh, who has not written anything since, um, but she had written on <laughs> sexual assault in the military and in the Catholic Church. And mm. if you look back at those stories, they have a lot of similar elements of just no evidence. I mean, obviously, I fully believe there is tons of horrific abuse in the Catholic Church that is, has been demonstrated over and over again. Yeah. But if you read the story she wrote about one specific priest, you would come away skeptical that in this case, the guy actually did it. Like, I agree. Like, she, <laughs> she like found the and one person who seems yeah. right. Right. She found the one person who kind of seems quite innocent. Um, Unbelievable. And now the same sort of thing happened with the Covington kids. Right. These yes. Teenage kids. Tell us about that, because you played a role in that also. Yeah. Uh, so this uh, in this case, I, I truly was the first uh, journalist um, to see the, to see the full video footage and commented uh, comment on it. I, I was at a conference, I think, when this story was first breaking, you know, the short clip was appearing everywhere and everyone was condemning these kids based on a very short clip that purported to show them uh, uh, being, being cruel and maybe harassing a Native American man on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. Um, and as I was sitting down to kind of see what was going on, because I, I, so, so I kind of missed the, the initial period of outrage over this, as oh. I was sitting down to take a look at it, I mean, this was I say I missed the first, I missed maybe like the six, first six hours of it or something. Well, you know, know, that's important. Those six hours are where most people right. get everything wrong. <laughs> right, right. By then, everyone from CNN to National Review had condemned these kids. Um, and I was sitting down to write about it, and I saw that there was a longer video footage available, and I said, well, I should probably watch this first. Now, where and did that come from? Who had that? This started to appear on Twitter, um, you know, uh, this video footage had actually been taken by the third group in the encounter, the black Hebrew Israelites, oh, yeah. who are a, a, a kind of <laughs> All the cult, characters. a kind of cult group. And, if, and I, so I live in D.C. I've encountered these people on the streets before. They're like the Westboro Baptist Church <laughs> sort of like they're shouting crazy things. But they're a black far left group. But they I mean, they hate everyone. Yeah. Um, and they were there. So there's an hour plus of, of them yelling at the Covington boys. And the Covington boys just don't really do it. They don't do anything objectionable about it. Sometimes they make fun of them back. 
you know, the, yeah. the black Hebrew Israelites uh, start trying to convince the one, there's one, I mean, there's more than one, but they're, they're trying to one black Covington high school kid. Oh, yeah, I saw boy, And they try to tell him, <laughs> your friends are going to kill you and eat your organs. <laughs> and, the, and the kids are like, like, they grab him affectionately. They're like, no, we love him. We're not going to do that. <laughs> so it's, so there's nothing, um, the, the Covington kids are not doing anything uh, uh, wrong in this exchange, despite, you know, hearing really awful things from this crazy group for a long time. And then they're doing, and then finally they're doing pep rally cheers. Um, and that's when Nathan Phillips, the Native American man, uh, comes into the picture and, uh, you know, sees these two groups interacting, wrongly decides that the kids are the bad guys or the aggressors or there's about to be violence and the kids are about to attack this group. And he starts, he, you know, walks right into their midst. He's, he's drumming in their faces and they're just, and if you watch the full clip, they're just very confused because they're like, yeah, what is this he... guy doing? And at first they kind of think he's on their side because, which would make sense because their, their side is the correct side because the other people are totally crazy. And oh, they're like kind of getting in, in between them. Yeah. Right. They think maybe he's there to back because they're already doing like cheers. So they think he's joining their cheering um, yeah. to the extent that they understand at all what's going on. And then and then so they're cheering with him. And that's yeah. actually what you're seeing. <laughs> but it's very confusing. So so and everybody is reacting differently and confusedly. But the the bottom line is that you know, the media assistance that these kids started harassing this poor Native American man who hadn't been doing anything is just completely wrong. It's just the total opposite of what happened. But almost nobody that went with that narrative um, backed down even after the full video was out, which was pretty quickly. Yes. So, well, some people did back down. So Jake Tapper tweeted my story. Um, a lot of, I think, uh, mainstream outlets uh, that had gotten it wrong, um, uh, at least at least uh, wrote additional things showing, well, there was a lot more going on. There were some people who tended to be in very left-wing media or circles who went full denialism, uh, Splinter, yeah. uh, which is a far-left kind of gawker site. Uh, yeah, they, they called me a, a known contrarian or something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, I'm, I mean, I am a contrarian when... When the dominant view is wrong. I mean, I'm not always a contrarian. Sometimes the media gets stories perfectly, and the media is a broad term. So sometimes many in the media have gotten the story correctly. But I, sometimes they get it wrong, and I call them out when they do. And this was certainly one of those cases. But you're right. I was surprised to see the extent of the doubling down. Because even there were some more mainstream media sites who would say things yeah. like, well, there was more going on. But, you know, those kids were still kind of up to no good, right? And then there was this effort to find additional evidence that would yes. prove they were bad. <laughs> like my, my favorite was a, was a New York, I think it was the New York Daily News. Uh, it, it, it was the New York Daily News, I'm pretty sure, had a headline that was like, this won't be good for Nick Sandman's case, <laughs> Nick Sandman being the staring kid. And then what the thing that was not good for his case, supposedly, was that several years ago, someone at a basketball game at Covington uh, had painted themselves all black. It was and a blackout like, game or something. It, right. right. It was, it was, it was something. <laughs> so, so it wasn't even bad the way, but, but also that was but not an exam. That wasn't the same kids. Why does this matter? This has nothing to do with it. it guilt by association, right? If yes. not by anything yes. you did, some association with some, and, um, yeah, that that was terrible. That was terrible I, what they did. I just, we know what they're guilty of. They were guilty of being at a pro-life event and wearing a red hat. Um, yeah. But, but can you imagine being being like 17 years old and being in a situation, you know, coming from a normal town and then going to D.C., right? And, you, and you've got all of these really bizarre people. The people they were in were bizarre. And, and your every move being videotaped. How many things would you do wrong in that moment, right? Like because there's, everybody's got different things going on in their mind, and this is just all brand new to them, right? Exactly. But the adults in the room, right? You know, the media, the politicians, right? Everybody called them racist. And we, and, and we have this, uh, this drive now 
to just try to destroy young people for doing something when they make mistakes. And I, and I don't think this was, was an example of them making mistakes. But even in cases where kids do screw up or do something wrong, and now, now they have, they're being recorded at all times, their texts, the things they say to each other, there's a record of it. So you can always look at what they, you know, what they tweet or they, there was a, you know, there was the Heisman winner or nominee from last year. You know, he had said, Oh, he had tweeted something anti-gay like eight years ago when he was probably 11, you know, yes. you know he, he should, he shouldn't get the trophy. Like yeah. this is, this is, cr- if I, and the, uh-huh. If you and I had had there had been a record, if anyone, any human being, if there was a record of everything they said or did as a kid, we could all be canceled. We could all be dis- we, there. There would be something we were ashamed about. Every single one of us, because every- that's human nature. Young people make mistakes and we are supposed to when they make a mistake, they they learn from it. They have a, a punishment that is appropriate to the mistake. If it's a mistake that deserves punishment. And then they grow and they, they move on with their lives. And that's the only, like, that's what, that's what school is supposed to be about, is, is the right. proper socialization of young people. And yeah. in this moment we're living through where we just want to destroy people for being imperfect, I think it's, I think it's horrible. I, I, it is so hard to be, uh, to be a teenager these days. We are making it harder every day. And it's, it's really yeah. terrible. Everyone my age... Uh, you know, when we, you know, watch some young person getting destroyed for really, some of the stuff is, you know, kind of benign. It's not really that bad, but, but everything is so, uh, is taken in the worst possible way it could be taken every single time that it's like, they're being destroyed for things, you know, that, you know, people that have said the same, that have, you know, or joked mm-hmm. in the same manner or anything like that. And, and, the problem for young kids too, for young people in general, is everything's recorded. But I, I, if everything I said or did was recorded since I was 14, even through 25, you couldn't function in society. You'd be, you know, canceled. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we are becoming such an unforgiving society, uh, which is a problem because there's more evidence, more, there's more, everyone has enough rope to hang themselves by now. And yeah. we are, we are, we want to put people on the gallows, metaphorically speaking. Why? I don't know why. I think there's a, well, so we are tribalized to a greater yeah. extent. So there's a lot of, you know, the left wants to destroy people this way, but, it, but the right, some on the right do as well. Many on the right. Um, actually, one of my, uh, someone I'm, yeah. uh, uh, I've become uh, friends with, uh, Kyle Kashev. He's the conservative yeah. Parkland survivor. He's a yeah. pro Second Amendment uh, young man, and he uh, he his enemies got him dis uh, disinvited from or disenrolled from Harvard. Harvard had, had accepted him. That's and a then, pretty extreme penalty. And then someone dug up you know some messages he'd sent in a in a private group chat from years ago that are that are certain that are very offensive, where he uses very offensive language he shouldn't have. But you know, and he made a full apology. He offered to Harvard yeah. that he would work with their inclusion office that, you know, this doesn't represent who he is. He was trying to say, they would deliberately try to say controversial things at the time. He has, he has become a more serious, more solemn person for obvious reasons. And, and Harvard said, okay, that's nice. Too bad. You're done. But, but importantly, the people who dug up these tweets and helped turn them into a thing, it was his enemies on the left and his enemies on the right. There are people who are more far right than him who thought he was, that he had he had blown them off in some way. So there is absolutely wow. a a drive on both extremes to and there's like a well since they're doing it we can do it too or we're just that making them play of, by their own rules. That's I, that's exactly right. Like with this and do you know with the with um the story that was out earlier I think earlier this week where you know Trump allies are digging up right old tweets of the journalists that are canceling other people that are canceling conservatives for their old tweets. Right. So yeah. Is, is there a bit, and they resisted that I think for a long time. Right. I think some, I think conservatives were late to that game, but I, I can see the point that at some point it gets like, well, you know, these are the rules that are going to be enforced on us. You know, we're going to enforce them back because there's no hope when Harvard is, is signing on to cancel culture, right. In their admissions yeah. process. Yes. And 
and the government is signing on to cancel culture with like, oh, you said something, you're fired, right? And and the media too, right? You dig up anything on, and it's certainly on in alternative media, right? If you yeah, dig up the, anything on anybody yeah. like that, you're finished. The thing with that with that New York Times story was the. I mean, so right, I agree, and I and I, I'm you know, I'm just generally against looking for old tweets and getting people fired for that reason. Yeah, uh, but, but you know, the journalists were a little, or that New York Times story was very like, oh my God, I can't. Be- well, no, we are the people who dig up tweets and get people like nobody else can do that. Or they're just being so amazed, and they treated it like it was this undercover operation in the Trump administration to get people yeah, fired. Yeah. Like it was this, right. literally, all they were doing was looking for they're doing something that i could do in five seconds that anyone could do yeah <laughs> so there right. was a there was a, a bit of like you can't do that to us we're the referees you know we're not yeah. in the fray that is is not true that said you know i i don't think we should I go don't like trying to dig up yeah, tweets i don't, I don't, like, don't it. like it and it's going to take us we just it's going to take somebody standing down even when it's in their best interest to keep doing it where, where they say because if you're only defending it when it's your people, then it's just a tribal thing. It's not actually, you're not actually resisting cancel culture if you only defend people who got canceled because you agree with them or you like them. So that, that's why I, I really insisted on, it will only go away when we recognize that, no, I, I hate this person, they're terrible. Maybe in my heart of hearts, I want them to be canceled, but I'm against this trend. So I'm going to say, no, no don't fire them. That's the only way it's going to leave us if we all but do that together at the to same do. time. Everybody, everybody has, has to do it. The left doesn't want. The left won't do that. I think you could get the right to sign on to that immediately. Yeah. We'd sign that contract with the left. We're not doing that anymore. But they wouldn't. They don't. Even I was know what they're doing. You might be right. I was heartened uh, with the the Trump labor uh, appointee from that story from this week. Um, the Leaf Olson. Yeah. Yeah, so he got, right, he got, and this is just utterly ridiculous because the post that he wrote that was uh, allegedly anti-Semitic, it was a satire of the way anti-Semitic people think. It was funny. It was, it was designed to troll the alt-right. And uh, it's and clear. It, it, in the message, that point was very clear, right? That you speak sarcasm like it's your first language or something, you know. Crystal clear. That. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but I was heartened that, so after Bloomberg Law got him fired, uh, there were actually, in this case, a lot of journalists on the left. So Vox wrote about it, uh, which is a left oh. of center media site, saying, no, this you really screwed this up and, and actually explicitly calling for him to be rehired. So this, so this, this incident, this is like the freshest in my mind because this is just from this week. Um, so yeah. I'm very glad to see uh, people on the left doing that. So may, maybe there's hope. Maybe. And, and, <laughs> yeah, and it's like the... Uh, I, I noticed that too, that some, it's like the f- kind of fringe left media is more in line with, um, you know, kind of the, the well, the right, right? They, mm-hmm. And they stand up and they, they've done that a couple of times, like Vox and, um, and even, even uh, the Daily Beast a couple of times, uh, they're, they're saying, you know, something that I'm, I can say, oh, that's the right thing, which is shocking because just a year ago, I would have never never thought that to be the case so i think some of this culture rot you know some of the the cancel i think it's 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 uniting honest people that are really wanting to to fight about the issues and really right that it's not just about destroying your enemy that they recognize how destructive some of this stuff is right and it's not anything just for my team to win you know the the tribalism that you spoke of it's uh it's destroying all debate you can't debate you can't can't talk about issues at all anymore. I think all of the all of the issues that we have to talk about and everything that happens is is it anti-Trump? If it is, I'm against it. If it isn't, then they're against it, right? So it's I mean it's um, every single issue that that's all it is. And I think the like the coming to kids, that was it, right? The whole issue. Oh, they're pro-Trump. It's bad, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's it's so difficult to talk about things because they try to I mean, this is difficult for me because I'm a libertarian. I disagree with Trump on a lot of things, but I don't think all criticisms of Trump are correct. I don't automatically think Trump is wrong. Um, So that so that puts me in a in a difficult position of not falling into either of the two dominant uh, 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 sort of political spheres, because everything that happens 
people want to spin it as how does this prove that Trump is a Nazi or yes. how does this prove that he's the greatest human being who ever who has ever lived? Um, and neither and, of those things are true. Right. right. So it, it doesn't right. prove that. It doesn't. Right. So when something like the Covington thing happened, and this is and because they were wearing MAGA hats, so this fits into a into a good for Team Trump. And I and I agree that it does. Right. These people, these kids were really unfairly smeared. This is a this is a win. This is the Trump world people got were mistreated. And like, I agree with that. But then but that doesn't mean I'm always going to think the Trump side is aggrieved and correct. And that's hard for that's just hard for people to process in our current mind because they must think, oh, well, so you're a Trump person um, or then the other way that yeah. like, it goes. It, it's 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 it a, it's a it difficult time. Too. Oh, it certainly goes the other way, too. It goes yeah. the other way, yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. I think I actually unfollowed you on Twitter at one point because you, I think <laughs> you said something too, too anti-Trump. For, but I mean, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a part of this whole system, too. Right. And I think for me, I feel like he gets so much unwarranted abuse that I have to defend him. Right. Because I do. I believe in a lot of the things that he's doing. And um and I think he's sacrificing a lot or has to do this that and he really believes that he's doing what's right for the United States. And I like his policies. These are policies that I agree with. But he is he's so unjustly smeared and maligned. And so am I as a supporter all the time that I defend him no matter what. Right. Pretty much. I defend him no matter what. Just because I mean, of I, I, mean I, I hear from people who say who, who articulate that view all the time. And I yeah. certainly think the media, um, uh, some of, so the elite media positioning themselves as the anti-Trump team has helped drive people to that point of view where they feel like, well, I just have to defend him because I'm well, so sick of you telling me I'm, I'm the most evil person ever. Um, and, and, and then when I talk to my friends in media who are, you know, much further left than I, I'm not left at all, but, but who are, who are on the left and, you know, they often, they scoff at me when I say that, when I'm like, you're driving people into Trump and they, 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 that's been a hard message for me to try to sell, um, to, uh, to other journalists. So I, I, unfortunately I, I only see it getting worse and I do. And again, I, you know, there are, I like Trump's foreign policy a lot, actually. Um, yeah. I, I like, uh, I like a lot of the policies that are just kind of normal Republican policies on taxes and regulation, et cetera. Um, I wish he wouldn't tweet all, almost all the things he tweets, uh, but it's hard to separate him, the personality, him, the, and he's really is a, he's a figure of entertainment and media and to separate yes. the reality TV character from the governance. Um, and the is, sensible is hard policies. To do. Yeah. 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 And like the women's march was all about that, right? He hadn't spent a day in office. I went to the inauguration and I mean, the Antifa people that were there burning stuff. And I was with my husband. We're walking down and some, some woman, we never met her before. She's swearing at my husband. <laughs> I was like, what is, right? This is awful. You know, you know I, this, um, yeah, 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 yeah. I, you know, I, I attend, so I attended the Women's March um, to write about it for my book. Um, which out, is out now. You can order it, Panic Attack. Young yeah, Dogs I've, been, I've been listening to it. Very and, good. Uh, and uh, yeah, so the Women's March, uh, I thought it was uh, a pretty successful event. I mean, it had hundreds of thousands of people at it. I thought if you wanted to send a message uh, that uh, Trump's uh, alleged treatment of women was objectionable, this was a, a good way to do that. But interestingly enough, I talked to so many young far-left activists for this book and when I asked them about the Women's March, every one of them said, I hated it. I despised <laughs> it. I wanted nothing to do with it. And I said, this was the most, ma this was the most well-attended mass the protest since the Vietnam March. War. They said it was bad because it was not intersectional. It was, it was white women were running it. There were no trans women of color put in leadership positions on it. Like, this is the curse of intersectionality. If the left is saying, we only want the most, 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 most oppressed fringe ideological cabal. And yeah. if you don't agree with them on everything, you're dead to us. You're out. Th yeah. This is the mindset that gets you that. And you're gonna, have a, you're gonna have a coalition of like four people and you're going to achieve nothing. Yeah. And I think the Linda uh, Sassor, is that her name? Yeah. Um, I think she was kind of an objectionable 
objectionable figure to have involved in that because she's um you know kind of you know the louis farrakhan like the whole yeah like they're anti-semites these people well it was and that was so it was so funny to me because you know they're, they're saying um you know we don't we don't want to work with other groups because those other groups aren't perfect because like we have to agree <laughs> on everything so if you yeah. so if you're ostensibly with me but you're like pro-life well, then you're not with me if you're you know they, yeah. they want you on board with everything but for some reason but if you're like vaguely associated with anti-semites <laughs> that's okay that's okay that's fine that, yeah. that's yeah. so, so it was weird. just like a it was just like a weird exception for for the louis mm. farrakhan type people like no we're happy to work with them even though if there's anything wrong with anyone else we run them out of our movement but so like anti-semitism is not like a protected marginalized category in the same way that race, gender, LGBT status, trans status is. It's very interesting. And they have that, you know, they have that in common with the alt-right, right? It's like this yes. tolerance or even advocacy for anti-Israel, anti-Jew. It's, they share that. Um, yeah, it's the fringe, the fringes meeting, you know, they, there's, there's yeah. definitely, and the, and the, the critique of sort of capitalism that you get uh, from the left, uh, that, that from the far left, that often takes on an anti-Semitic uh, tinge to it because they'll say, well, because the, the Jew, Jewish people control the banks and, and, and et cetera. And it, so it's a criticism yeah. of Jewish people and capitalism. And that's exactly what the alt-right does. Too. Yeah, it so is. So they're very much uh, in sync on that. And, and I mean, there are people involved in the alt-right. So I, and I wrote about the alt-right for my book as well. You know, there are people who came to uh, alt-right white nationalist views from, from the traditional right, from the libertarian side, from the independent side, but also from the left. You know, there are people there who yeah. were involved in Occupy Wall Street. You know, yeah. there, are, there are also just crazy people there who were yeah. like, they would join ISIS if the opportunity <laughs> arrived. Right, um, they just be protesting something, right, or, or involved in something. Well, yeah, I, I think well, the group, I, mean, I, I think the group splits into about three where you have a third of them are just, they're white, they're like old school KKK or they're probably their family members were KKK. And so they've grown up in like racist, like very white nationalist households. Another, but another third are, you see some of this trollish online anti P yeah. like I, I'm saying these things cause it's what trolls the left, but then there, there starts to become a veneer of, of, of actually agreeing with it too. And then the final third is just, um, I think, emotionally damaged and disturbed young people who yeah, who would join any cult who are looking yeah. for a, a meeting and you know they they would have been you know in like the doomsday cult or something or they would have joined yeah. like a <laughs> like a like a crazy group and and it's not even about the ideology of the group yeah yeah so there's the, there's those people too um i i haven't gotten to read your whole book but i did um read a lot of it. And what um, strikes me in there is, is your position as, um, as the libertarian. And uh, I don't know many libertarians. I had one on Twitter that I used to engage with all the time, but um, the open borders thing just kind of broke us up. I can't, can't, I can't do the open borders. And I said, you can't do it with a welfare state. And he'd say, well, then get rid of the welfare state. Yeah, but we're not. So what are we going to do? Was <laughs> so, that me? That sounds like something I would say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, we just, uh, we don't talk that much anymore because of that, that one disagreement. But anyway, I, off of that for a second, that position that you have where you're not either invested in my side and you're not invest, you're kind of like um, an observer. So you don't have the emotional attachment. And that kind of came through in your book where you can give these kids um, a fair shake, which I think is the start to, to kind of mending a lot of this is seeing each other as human beings, right? Where, um, you know, and you can interview people like Robert Spencer and, and you're still alive and you still believe in, in the things you write. We need, I, think, I think it's valuable to hear from all of these people, right? To understand where they're coming from. And because some of the kids though too, they're not coming from a bad place. I think that they're, they're wrapped up in the mission and getting, and getting a bit too radical, but they're not really coming from a, a bad place. Right, I agree. I mean, I think 
uh, yeah, many of the, the people I interviewed on the right and, and on the left you know, are very sincere uh, in what they believe, and uh, I can respect that. And even where we, you know, where we disagree. And, and also, I think, so there's nothing to be gained by not talking to people I disagree with, because at most I can understand them better. Uh, like talking to alt-right people um, has been very educational for me, and I ab utterly abhor all their views. But Spen you know, Spencer told me that he admires some of the identity politics of the left because he thinks that groups are what have rights, not individuals. So he, he admires the idea of a race-based category where you love people of your own race and you have like, and, and, and that's what is the source of meaning in your life is your racial group. He wants that for white people and their own country and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that view is closer to the identity politics left in his own telling um, than my views, which are libertarian, which are that only the individual has rights. There, we have characteristics based on race, yeah. sex, et cetera, et cetera. But you are you you are an individual, and your rights only come from from because you are a human being, and all human beings get equal rights regardless of any other characteristic they might possess. Uh, but that's that's uh, libertarian or classically liberal or even I mean traditionally conservative. That's a that's yeah. A, if that's libertarian, I, I'm that. I'm right. Be right. Right. I'm but, not, it's not it's not only a libertarian view, but it's a view that these that these extremes no longer hold. And I and I I want people to understand that that's what they think. Um, and, you know, many. The, yeah. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. I, I, and I was just going to say that, you know, I think having these conversations and, and especially with the, the people on the left, the young people I talk to for most of this book, most of the book deals with with yeah. the left and. You know, I find their views very interesting, and I think they're they're they want to change the world, and that's you know they're not I, they're not like detached from it, um, yeah. and they believe what they think, um, and also most young people are still are, are still I think very open to dialogue and express. They're not anti, so so it's not like like I don't believe the the, the whole generation or something is a generation of snowflakes. <laughs> um, what it is, is a small, a, if we're talking about college campuses in particular, we're talking about a small number of people who have had, who, who are snowflakes and who have had this terrible effect on the climate of free speech in the university. But there, there is a small number of them that they everyone have a lot else, of power. they have tons of power because everyone else is afraid to stand up to them. So when they shout down Charles Murray or Ben Shapiro or you know they have their professor investigated for using the wrong pronoun or whatever they're doing. I still think most people don't want that to happen, but they're afraid to do anything about it, and they're so they're sitting because, back and quietly. You're next. <laughs> and you're next. And you're next. Yes. So we need to make it the change. I would like to see. You know, the answer to bad speech is more speech. So we don't need more policies even to address this kind of thing. That if we just the people who are against this censorship, cancel culture, whatever you want to call it, there are more numerous and just need to stand up and say no, no to all of this. No. And but that will rob them of power. But wouldn't the leadership in the universities have to say this, like we're not firing our law professor for defending, you know, uh, Andrew White. The, I mean, the, they yes. fired him for, yes. for practicing law. Yes, it uh, is Harvard. It was uh, it was yeah. Harvard University. Unfortunately, its administration, its dean particularly, his name is uh, uh, Karana, I believe, is his last name. He has almost single-handedly waged a war on the concepts of free speech, free expression, uh, free association, and due process that is just almost unprecedented to my mind. The the amount of I, I and again I and I'm a moderate figure, so I don't say <laughs> I don't say this lightly. Like the things he has done have been just utterly, utterly reprehensible at Harvard, um, from banning um, single sex uh, organizations from meeting for if you'd want to have a club, like women can't have women's clubs anymore because of, of what he has done uh, to the wow. to to the running out of faculty members who believe in sort of traditional ACLU style due process. It's it's been so bad. But uh, but so, yes, administrators, but many administrators uh, are not like that. They're not ideologically uh, invested in the in cancel culture. They're just 
again, they're afraid and they don't know what to do. So they, they absolutely need to make it clear. They need to say, if you're a professor and you denounce your students and you criticize their tactics, you will not be invested. Not only will you not be fired, you will not even be investigated. We will not even consider frivolous, nonsensical investigations of people for speech. You absolutely have the right, and we implore you, if you disagree with these students, to stand up and challenge them. <laughs> that is what the administration must do at every elite college. And you spoke to, for your book, you spoke to some professors that told you that they were scared to death of their students, right? They were yes. going to be dragged into, yeah. So, and these I are mean, professors of the left. The, the professors of the left are afraid of their of their radical left students. They're uh, not immune from none whatsoever. Mo most of the professors that have been, you know, dragged off campus are on the left. I don't think there's so, been any probably. Right. <laughs> well, there are very um, few right wing professors, and the very few there are probably are uh, in in danger <laughs> often. Um, but there's a lot but, more I mean, professors on the left, really and they're yeah. Look at Brett Weinstein, the Evergreen professor. Um, you know, what happened to him was crazy. He, he, him and his wife essentially had to flee the campus when the police told them, we can no longer guarantee your safety. There are students with bats walking around. I mean, it's, and, and he was, you know, he was, as, he was a leftist Bernie sort of person. Um, a, a thoughtful, good person. Yes, yes, right? yes. I, I think the, prof the professors are often in a, older, uh, I call it ACLU-type liberalism, even though the ACLU itself has waffled slightly on some of these issues lately. But if you came out of the 60s, or were, if you're on the left and you came out of the 60s, or you were educated or had your formative sort of ideological experience from people who came out of the 60s, you are in a mindset where free, you love free speech. You know, I mean, the, the 60s yes. left was all about free speech. Uh, saying we want unco uncomfortable speech, controversial speakers. We're all for all of that. So they're, you know, they're in the the ACLU has you know defended the right of Nazis to march down the street, the the Westboro Baptist Church, all the sort of yeah. crazy <laughs> kook, all the worst nasty of the worst. people. Yes, but but for a reason, right? And I completely this is I ideologically agree with this. We we defend I, I do too. free speech for the most abhorrent, and this is not, this is a very settled legal question is the other thing, because the Supreme Court is the most pro-free speech in the history of the Supreme Court. It gets more free speech over time. And it's not a, you know, we talk about the polarization on the court. This issue is not polarized whatsoever. Like the, the Westboro Baptist Church is eight, was an eight, one decision. The, uh, the, the uh, there was a more recent Everybody case that was nine to zero. Like, it, everybody on the, the court is really wildly for free speech, for awful, hateful extremists. So, yeah. so when young people say, well, I support free speech, but not hate speech, or, well, hate speech isn't free speech, that, that is wrong on the most fundamental level because the Supreme Court could not have been clearer that hate speech is free speech. There, there is the no category of speech. Exactly. Right. We don't have First Amendment protection for speech that everyone agrees with and is nice and pleasant because it doesn't need protection. Uh, radical, controversial things, you know, the, is what is what it protects. And that's what the Supreme Court has said. So. So it, it's it's a, so anyway, the 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 left that comes out of that that way of thinking is often at which comprise many faculty our intention with the new woke young left that has a very different attitude towards speech that says speech uh is action speech is violence, violence. If, if it's advocating policies that would harm people we're sympathetic to and and by harm i mean also emotional harm if you're going to make someone we're sympathetic to feel uncomfortable well, their mental health is, is a, is, lies on a spectrum of related activity to their physical well-being. So, so your speech that makes them uncomfortable is a form of violence against their emotional state. And we, we, are, we are well within our rights to use violence to stop you from doing that. That's the view of the new fringe radical left that is so against. Yes, yes, yes. And Antifa is the group most putting that uh, view into practice. 
uh, obviously in, in, in the places where they're involved. But yes, they're explicitly, and if you, re I've read the anti-fascist handbook, but it was written by someone who's very sympathetic to Antifa and he's explicit. Our movement is not a liberal movement. Our movement is an illiberal movement in that liberalism in its, you know, in, in the enlightenment sense, right. that we do not think people, we do not want to give the far right rights. We do not believe our enemies should have rights. It is necessary and proper for us to deny free speech rights, et cetera, et cetera, to people who are our enemies. That's the view of Antifa, which again, flies completely in the face of what we believe kind of coming out of the as enlightenment country, tradition yeah. as a, yeah, which is what our country was founded in the, I may disagree with you, but I will defend to the death, you know, yes. your right to say that's so much part of our American uh, founding views. And so it's really, uh, it's, it's uh, horror. And, and that, and that, again, that was a view that the, the, was not in tension with what the left thought um, until more recently. And then, so how do we, um, now these professors that came out of the sixties and the old, the, the liberals, right? Which I would give anything to be debating liberals right today, but um, can they not teach this to their students? I mean, they're gonna, get, if they can get rid of them, I mean, this this belief that um, you don't, you're not allowed to exist unless you agree with all of my points of view. Where were they going to learn that that's just not, you know, that that's not what we believe, that that's not okay? Yeah, I'm I'm very afraid that the young people, the activists who I'm criticizing, uh, are not really even listening to their professors. So I, I'm often warning uh, conservatives yeah. about this because there's this belief that conservatives have that the faculty are brainwashing students to hate America, et cetera, et cetera. And no doubt there's some of that some. in place, um, but so many of the activists I talked to for my book said, oh yeah, we have nothing to learn from our professors. They have, they have nothing to teach us. They're learning, they're learning from each other. They're learning from what other young people have done on other campuses because social media has made it very easy to communicate with people across long distances and to and to form little cluster. You know, they have Facebook groups where you can talk to, you know, the people at Reed College, can talk to the people at Berkeley, can talk to the people at Yale, can talk to the people at Oberlin. So they're learning from each other. Uh, so it's not as much uh, the faculty. Certainly there are activist faculty disciplines that are that are actually very they're barely even scholarships. <laughs> Some of these, uh, these yeah. sort of grievance studies um, uh, majors, which are really more sort of activist training ground. It's more training than it is scholarship. Um, and and uh -huh. there's a lot of problems with that stuff. But by and large, uh, the kids are not even listening to the faculty. So, the, so they're, the, the, raising the, they're raising themselves. Yes they're, yes. they're just there for right to get their degree but they're not they're not being influenced by the you would be for... surprised how many of them i heard say something to the effect of um i am leaving this campus the same person i came here has like it was almost like a like a like an fu to the university that i will not be changed at all by i by what i've learned here that i would like i will not compromise who i am or be, or have been polluted or watered down by by what they would have to teach me here uh their their view is yeah, they they were they arrived with their with already intact and right. and they 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 can't they can't lose any of that essence um which is uh, which and they say the joke's on you for that the joke's kind of on them if you paid you know what they're paying to go to the <laughs> university to get absolutely nothing out of it um, and you know okay. being, on the right, being on the right i look at that and i think but they're on your side, right? You should be like, they believe everything that you, be but we don't understand this, this new uh, ra it radical. New and different. It's different. Yeah. It's different. Um, and, and it's, and, and it's spread. And I, I, my concern is that this mindset uh, is brought of, of shutting down or preventing people from saying, things that uh, that would make you uncomfortable because that is a uh, an infringement of your personal safety. I'm quite concerned that is making its way off the campus into the broader culture. And again, it's not because most people are like this or think this is a good thing or even most young people, but it just takes a handful of people to complain 
to get someone fired or to say that yeah. or to invoke the specter of some law that are and twist its definition to to prevent this. So discrimination law in the university setting, uh, the Title Nine is the gender uh, right. equality statute that from the 70s that, you know, was was. It, the purpose of the law was that it, so if you if you had a male sports team, you would have to have a female sports team if there was comparative interest. Completely benign in its initial uh, uh, thinking has yeah. been twisted beyond any conceivable recognition. You know, th th it's one sentence long <laughs> and somehow the government <laughs> is using it to tell colleges that you have to adjudicate sexual misconduct and sexual harassment in all these ways that are manifestly unfair to due process and, and even speech that any, uh, you know, unwelcome uh, 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 conduct of a sexual nature, including speech, could be actionable sexual harassment under Title IX. That was something being told to colleges under the Obama administration. So you could you if you were upset at someone for any reason that in some way involved gender or sex, you could say, well, you violated my Title IX rights. And this has happened over and over again by just a, a small number of activists could use this tool. So my fear is that activists will do the same thing in the workplace, et cetera, off the campus. There's, there's laws you could do the exact same thing with, discrimination law. This will be, and this is not, the courts don't agree with this. The courts have put very narrow restrictions on, on what constitutes actionable sexual harassment in the workplace. It has to be repeated. It has to be, um, right. uh, you know, uh, objection, offensive to a, to an objectionable person, et cetera, et cetera. But they're going to weaponize it in exactly the same way so that, yeah. you know, if you say something so you, that you can't have uh, controversial or, or, or confrontational conversations in the workplace. That's my fear. Oh gosh. I don't think, I don't think you can now. Yeah. We're might already be getting there. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, Everyone's got to read this book. It's a really good book to um, kind of get a view for all the people that we're dealing and they're and they're humans. And, you know, um, I think we all tend to fall into that part where, you know, it's like they're the enemy. They're bad. I don't care what happens to them, but I really care what happens to these kids. Um, they're not being, you know, they're not being served. Like there's no adults in the room. And this is at a critical time in their development where they really need to be able to learn how to function in society. And they're kind of going in, um, you know, they're not going to be able to bully the world like they're bullying their, um, their universities. And I think it's going to hurt them, um, you know, for having a fulfilling life, you need to be able to deal with, um, to different people to, to learn. Right. You don't want to be the person that you were at 16 and, and other people are going to help you to get to the person that you'll be when you're 30. So, you know, and I'm not sure what to do, but I think the first step in in understanding the problem is uh, reading your book, which I thought was really, really good. And I thank you so much. Um, where can everybody find you? And I know we can get your book on Amazon because that's where I got it. But where can everybody find you? Sure. Uh, please follow me on Twitter. Uh, just at Robbie Suave. Uh, and you can read my work at reason.com. And uh, yeah, please check out a copy of my book in stores or, uh, or uh, order online. And uh, thanks so much for talking to me. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to New Right Network, mobilizing, countering, energizing. Online at newrightnetwork.com.